Welcome back to The World's Game, a World Cup podcast. The Men's World Cup is over, but now it's time for the women. I'm going to have Women's World Cup episodes all summer long, breaking down all the storylines and all the fun. My name is Peter Roman. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And let's dive right in. Welcome to The World's Game, a World Cup podcast. Thank you so much for listening in. This is my last Women's World Cup episode, which, to be honest, makes me kind of sad. Like, I won't lie to you. I've really enjoyed doing these episodes. I really enjoyed watching the tournament, despite how awful the time difference was living here in Canada. But I love the World Cup, and I love football, soccer, whatever you call it. It's so much fun. So I did this with the Men's World Cup, and I'm doing it with the Women's World Cup as well. This is my last episode. It's a way to kind of recap the tournament in a way now that it's all done and dusted. So this is my top 10 goals and my top 10 storylines of the Women's World Cup. So I'm going to start with my storylines, go 10 to 1, and then I'm going to go to my favorite goals of the tournament and go 10 to 1. And it'll be kind of a nice wrap-up for this whole thing. I know I said I was going to have this episode on out on Friday. Friday was um, not a great day for me. So I ended up delaying this until now. But I hope you can understand. I'll have a... If you really want to know why, I ha- I'll have something at the very, very end of the episode. But anyway... Let's start with the storylines. So we'll start with my number 10 storyline of the Women's World Cup. And by the way, I want to just clarify, this is just my personal opinion. If you think one storyline was more important or bigger than another storyline, then that's, like, to be honest, like, the storylines list was really hard. And, like, if you have an opinion that's different, that is totally fine. I just hope you appreciate the fact that these were 10 of the biggest storylines of the tournament. So, sorry, number 10, the Philippines win a World Cup match. So, this was my number 10 storyline, and this one's a very uplifting, very positive storyline. Because the Philippines, to me, the fact that they won a game was incredible. Like, they were not expected to win at this tournament. They were making their debut, they had never played in a World Cup before, and, you know, they didn't exactly boast a super talented squad of any kind however despite that they put up a pretty good fight against the Swiss all things considered and despite the loss to Norway it was all about the second game in the second game they took on the co-host New Zealand and the Philippines won that game which is incredible that they won Serena Bolden scored their first ever World Cup goal and the Philippines won their first ever World Cup game in their second match. It was one of the most uplifting, one of the most like awe-inspiring moments, I think, of the entire tournament. You have this tiny little nation that's never, ever been a football powerhouse or ever, you know, really been... Like, they've never made a men's World Cup before, and they've never made a women's World Cup before. Like, this is not a team that's been around the block before. But the fact that they came in and they were able to get a win... Even though they didn't make the knockout stages, I still think this was one of the best storylines of the entire World Cup. So my number 10 goes to the Philippines. 
My number nine storyline of the Women's World Cup, the USA lose by a millimeter. So the United, the reason why I have this storyline where it is is because I think the United States not winning is a big deal. And the fact that they not only did not win in this tournament, but they also had the worst finish in their history at the Women's World Cup. The U.S. have never finished lower than third. So the fact that they went out in the round of 16 means a lot. And the fact that that shootout was insane, I mean, it just makes it kind of a bigger moment, a bigger, like, special moment, the fact that this happened. And obviously it sucks for the Americans, but... It was very kind of uplifting in a lot of ways if you weren't American because it's like, okay, this team can be beaten and they are no longer the sole powerhouse of women's football. Like it seems like they have been for the last little while. So that was, I think, a good thing to see overall. That game was also just crazy and fun. And I've never seen the ball go that close to being in or out in a penalty shootout before. But that's... That's the way the sport goes sometimes. And I think that was one of the best games of the tournament and definitely one of the most exciting moments of the whole tournament. My number eight storyline of the Women's World Cup, Linda Caicedo. So Caicedo ended up being the rising young star of the tournament, at least in my opinion. I know she didn't win the Young Player of the Tournament Award, but that's a conversation for another time. In my opinion... The fact that this 18-year-old, especially considering all of her, you know, circumstances around the fact that, like, you know, she survived cancer and all these other things. Like, the fact that this 18-year-old came in and scored in her first two games at a Women's World Cup, the first player to do it since Marta. And, of course, she took Colombia to the quarterfinals, best finish in Colombian history. And she's, I mean, the goal, I'm going to talk more about the goal she scored against Germany in the top 10 goals, because you better believe it's in there. But, I mean, man, just, it was so impressive. She is a lightning quick, dynamic player. And I cannot wait to see her when she's in her prime. Like, she's 18, and she was already arguably the best player on the field every time she stepped on it. That's how electrifying and dynamic this player was. So, Linda Caicedo is my number eight storyline of the tournament the number seven storyline i have of the women's world cup i'm gonna focus on new zealand here for this but the co-hosts break attendance records so australia did this too but i'm gonna talk more about australia a little later so i'm gonna focus on new zealand new zealand hasn't exactly been a football nation they're a rugby nation like anyone who knows anything about rugby knows that the All Blacks in New Zealand, that's like the number one, you know, most popular, most well-known rugby team in the world. And rugby is one of the most popular sports in the world. So that's, that's their sport. Football, like soccer, has never really been New Zealand's thing. And so that was one thing that was a little worrying about this World Cup was that one of the stories I saw was that there was a lot of empty seats and a lot of tickets still available for a lot of these games in New Zealand. And that was kind of upsetting to see. But fortunately, despite the number of tickets and other things and the seeming lack of interest, New Zealand still did themselves very proud, at least in my opinion, because they broke attendance records for not only the New Zealand games, but also some of the knockout stage games, which was great to see the fact that at least people showed up for those games. So overall, I think 
there's a lot of positives you can take out of this. And I mean, sure, you know, you would have liked to see a little more on the attendance side of things in the entirety of New Zealand. But overall, the fact that we had a sellout crowd for every New Zealand game, the fact that over 40,000 people went and watched a football match, which has never happened in that country before, I think that's worth celebrating. I think that is a very positive, very uplifting storyline worthy of making it on the list. And it is my number seven, the co-hosts break records. So now we move on to number six. So I've been mostly positive about a lot of these so far. Now we're going to get a positive wrapped in a negative. So my number six storyline, parody at the Women's World Cup. Parody is something that has not existed in this tournament, in its history. And it makes sense as to why not. Because unfortunately, there are a lot of countries where women are either discouraged or outright not allowed to play football. And so because of that, the countries where they were allowed to play had quite a bit of an advantage. And it's been the same thing like financially. The countries that have supported their women's national team programs with money have seen a lot more success than the national team programs that haven't supported, that haven't been supported with, with money, right? So parity has not really been a thing, right? It's always been you have certain countries that are really good and certain countries that are really bad. And the really bad countries tend to get killed. That was not really the case this time around. Now, you still had some blowouts, but you're always going to have some blowouts. But the fact is, you had more parity in this tournament than we've ever seen before by far. And additionally, we saw for the first time really in a long time, because the Women's World Cup used to be a lot smaller, so you tended to get like more of these upsets where big teams would go down early. But the fact that they expanded to 32 teams and we had three of the big teams go down in the group stages, and I'm talking about Germany, I'm talking about Canada, and I'm talking about Brazil. The fact that three of them went down in the group stage in a 32-team tournament, that is incredible. And I think that's a great, great sign of where women's football is heading. I think the progress, the growth, the interest, all of that is growing at such a great like such a just amazing rate that now you're starting to see some of the benefits of that which is some of the parity that now exists in the international game which is good parity at the world cup is a good thing one of the things that people like about the men's world cup is the fact that every team usually can talk themselves into winning a game and you always get these cinderella stories now you don't usually get the Cinderella teams winning the whole tournament. But that doesn't always matter. In the Men's World Cup, when Costa Rica made the quarterfinals in 2014, it didn't matter that they lost to the Netherlands in a shootout in the, in the, like, in the quarterfinal game. That didn't matter. What mattered was we saw a team that no one expected to go that far do something really inspiring. That's what mattered. And we saw this at the Women's World Cup in so many ways this year. And this is something that I hope continues into the future because that's one of the great ways to make this tournament more exciting. Because I'm going to use an example here. So in women's hockey, ice hockey, I'm talking about here. In women's ice hockey, I do like watching the sport and I love watching the Canada-USA games. But I hate the lack of parity. The lack of parity drives me nuts. Because it doesn't make sense for me to watch Canada play China when I know Canada's going to win 10-0. It 
Like, that's not fun to me, the fact that I go into the game already knowing what's going to happen. In the Men's World Cup, that's what makes it so, excite so exciting is the fact that you don't know what each game is going to look like. Like, sure, Argentina should beat a team like Saudi Arabia, but Saudi Arabia wins sometimes. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's a very good thing, the fact that that exists. And in the Women's World Cup this year, we saw that. We saw Jamaica draw with France and Brazil. We saw Nigeria take down Australia. We saw Morocco take down Colombia. We saw, you know, the Philippines beat New Zealand. We saw, like, all of these different upsets that were incredible. Absolutely incredible. South Africa took down Italy. Like, these are good things. The fact that this happened is a good thing. We need more, more parity and more, you know, uncertainty in these games because it makes them more exciting and it makes them, you know, more enjoyable to watch. The fact that you're going in without a preconce preconceived notion of who's going to win the game. So, anyway, that's my number six storyline is the parody. My number five storyline. Now, this one you could almost argue should be number one, but my number five storyline is Nohalia Benzina, the player for Morocco, also known as a trailblazer because she became the first player to wear a hijab at the Women's World Cup. So the reason she's on my storylines list is because this is a huge deal because there are millions of women and girls around the world that wear hijabs. And a lot of them, unfortunately, have been discouraged or outright, you know, told not to play sports, right? Or that they couldn't play sports or something like that. And that always, always upsets me because sports should be for everybody. They shouldn't just be for the rich people and they shouldn't just be for the fast people or the tall people or like none of that should matter. Sports should be for everybody. Sports should be inclusive, especially football. Football should be the most inclusive one because it's such a low bar like barrier of entry. Like you really don't need a lot to play this sport. It's one of the things I like about it. And so the fact that Benzina, this Moroccan player, made history at the Women's World Cup, she can be an inspiration to the millions of women and girls out there who see her, who see her picture, who see her, you know, in a video and just imagine themselves and see themselves and they can imagine that they can play the sport too. And I think that's a very, very good thing. So Benzina is my number five storyline. Again, you could argue that should be number one. My number four storyline of the Women's World Cup, Jamaica. So Jamaica, they have a very, very interesting story because they unfortunately, in order to get enough money to pay for accommodations at the World Cup, they had to set up GoFundMe accounts. And the fact that their federation wasn't supporting them and the fact that this Jamaican team needed to set up GoFundMe accounts to afford accommodations to go to the World Cup is incredibly sad and incredibly maddening. I hate that that was even a thing. But fortunately, the players out on the field, they went out and did everything and then some. They did so much more than you could ever ask out of them. They drew with France, like I mentioned earlier. 
they drew with Brazil, and they beat Panama. And that was good enough to send them to the knockout stages. Jamaica's never been to a knockout stage at a World Cup before. The first time ever making the round of 16. The fact that they did that, despite all the crap they have to deal with off the field, is really inspiring. And Jamaica deserved a round of applause for that. Every single player on that field deserved, deserved a round of applause. And I really hope that this can be a catalyst for change and a catalyst for you know, Jamaican football to take this women's program seriously and actually try to invest in it. Because we know, we know for sure that the GoFundMe account would not happen on the men's side. We know that. So, Jamaica's my number four storyline. My number three storyline of the Women's World Cup, Africa. So I thought about splitting this up, to be honest. I thought about splitting up kind of the three positive African stories, but I decided to lump them together and put them at the number three slot. So let's break them down. We'll start with probably the most inspiring one, Nigeria. So Nigeria, like Jamaica, had to deal with a lot of crap off the field. It wasn't quite a GoFundMe thing, but it was more a, the Federation was, you know, telling them that they weren't going to get paid. The Nigerian Football Federation told the players that they weren't going to get their match fees, basically, for going to the World Cup. And obviously, the coach and the players were incredibly angry about this. And despite that, the Nigerian players went out and they played some inspired football. They played some exquisite football. Nigeria beat Australia 3-2 in a thriller. They drew Canada 0-0, the defending Olympic champions. They drew with the Republic of Ireland. And they made it to the knockouts. And in the knockout stage, they went up against England, who happened to be the finalists at this tournament. And they went out against England, and they played so well. It just sucked they didn't win that game. Nigeria outplayed England for that entire game. But they couldn't bury one in the back of the net and sadly lost in penalties. But the fact that Nigeria went and did that, despite all of their circumstances, that's incredible. That is beyond incredible. And so Nigeria, like the Jamaicans, deserve just a massive round of applause because, again, like I said with the Jamaicans, that stuff that's happening off the field with this Nigerian federation would never happen with the men's team. So I, get, I hope this can be a catalyst for change. I know I sound like I'm repeating myself, but unfortunately that's how it is with this. But anyway, there were two more storylines from Africa that I think are worth mentioning. The first one is South Africa. So South Africa, I think, played some of the most exciting football of this entire tournament. The like free-flowing, goal-scoring kind of way that they played. Like They just had no regard for defense and just decided to score a whole bunch. And it was so much fun watching the South African team play. And of course, they had that thrilling win over Italy to advance to the knockout stages, which was incredible. And so South Africa, first time they've ever made the knockouts, big deal for them. And then Morocco. Morocco, they were making their you know tournament debuts. Morocco had never been here before. And they had to go up against Germany in the opening game. And they lost 6 nothing. But that didn't get them down because this Moroccan team went out and they beat 
South Korea won nothing, and they beat Colombia. And those six points that they got from those two wins were enough to send them to the knockout stages and send the number two ranked team in the world packing along the way. I mean, if that isn't, like, that's pretty cool. That That's just incredible. Again, I'm, I'm using the same words a lot, but the, that's how I feel. That's how I genuinely feel about this. So Morocco did so much at this World Cup for their country, for themselves, for everybody. Nigeria, obviously an inspiration. And South Africa just, you know, bringing us joy and excitement in this sport on the field in a way that very few teams could. So Africa is my number three storyline. My number two storyline of the Women's World Cup. Unfortunately, an ongoing storyline, and I think you know where I'm going with this. Spain. So I won't lie to you. When I did my initial draft on, like, I was writing out what I thought the storyline should be, and then I was trying to rank them in an order that I was happy with. Spain were a lot lower on this list. Like, they made the list, you know, they won the whole tournament, but they were a lot, they were a lot lower on this list until, you know, the events over the last week or so. So if you haven't heard what's happening, I'm going to try to bring you up to speed as best I can and kind of explain exactly what's going on here. So, Spain won the World Cup. They beat England 1-0 in the final. It's their first World Cup win on the women's side. And so now they're one of the few countries that have won a men's World Cup and a women's World Cup. Unfortunately, the events after the game were, let's put it, really bad. So the Spanish, uh, the president of the Spanish Football Federation, Rubiales, he decided that he would grab one of the players, Jenny Hermoso, and basically forcefully kiss her against her will. And if you haven't seen the video, you can go look at it. But Hermoso claims the entire time that, you know, this was completely against her consent, and Rubiales just seemingly felt entitled to the fact that he should be able to, you know, make out with the players on the national team, which is incredibly disgusting. But... Anyway, so, what's happened after this? Well, it was initially thought that Rubiales would be resigning because there was a press conference called, like, I believe a couple days after the World Cup, but don't, don't quote me on that. Um, so anyway, there was this press conference, and instead of coming out and resigning, Rubiales came out and said that he will not resign and how, like, this is... He basically pulled out the Donald Trump card and for anyone that doesn't know what that is, it's basically somehow putting all the blame on anybody but yourself. That's kind of the, the card he played. And so Rubiales came out and shouted a bunch of obscene, like, really just completely, completely BS stuff. <laughs> like, he didn't say anything true at all. But he came out and said he will not resign. And so, what has happened since? Well... It sounds like Rubiales and Jorge Vilda are, like, fighting to the end to keep his job. And in the meantime, FIFA have opened up an investigation and have suspended him for 90 days. So, actually, small credit to FIFA. They kind of did the right... Like, not the right thing... Like, 
necessarily like forever, but like that was the right first step was to suspend him and start the investigation and everything else. Okay, so FIFA did that. And since then we've had protests and we've had the Spanish women's national team, all 23 players who won the World Cup, they all came out and said they will not play for the Spanish Federation again as long as Rubiales is still in charge. And in addition to those 20, 23 players that won the World Cup, there was an additional 81 players that also signed the, the protest alongside the, the World Cup winners. And they have also said that they will not play for the Spanish national team as long as Rubiales is in charge. In addition, we've also seen some prominent displays in men's football, which I've been happy to see. So Xavi outright called, like, called out Rubiales. Xavi is the coach of Barcelona and, of course, one of the most famous Spanish football players of all time. Additionally, in a La Liga game this past weekend between Sevilla and Cadiz, both uh, sets of players had different uh, gestures in support of the women's national team and Jenny Hermoso. The Cadiz players had a big banner and the Sevilla players wore a shirt in um, basically in protest of Rubiales in support of the women's national team. So, overall, there have been some good things. The fact that it seems like a lot of the football world is coming together to fight against this, you know, let's call him a really awful, disgusting person. And, I did, oh, there was one more story. So Jorge Vilda, who's the Spanish head coach, his entire coaching staff has apparently resigned, and they're also in support of the women's national team in protest, and so they won't come back unless Rubiales is gone. So now we're kind of in a waiting game at this point because FIFA are obviously doing their thing right now, but UEFA also can do their thing as well, but then the Spanish government can get involved. Like There's, there's a lot of like behind-the-scenes stuff right now that obviously can go on, but at the end of this, I really, really hope that Rubiales is gone and never comes back. And more importantly, it's a message to all the other people like Rubiales that they are not welcome, that they are wrong, that they are the problem, and they need to be eliminated as well. So, because don't kid yourselves, there's people like Rubiales littered throughout society, not just sports, and they need to all be eliminated. Like, they need to all lose their jobs and positions of power because the way they treat women is completely 100% unacceptable. Simple as that. So, not a fun storyline, but an important one. Right now, there's a real fight going on with the Spanish women's national team, and I really, really hope they win. Because if they win, then we can see wins from other teams, and we can see wins in other places in ways that will help make sport and society better for everyone. And that, and you're probably wondering, how is that number, how is that not number one? And I get that, but that brings us to the number one storyline of the Women's World Cup. And in my opinion, again, this is just my opinion. If you think one of these other storylines should be number one, I don't totally disagree with you. But for me personally, my number one storyline of the Women's World Cup, the Matildas. So the Matildas, that's the nickname for Australia's women's national team. So why did I put Australia number one? Well, the reason I did was because, in my opinion, what the Matildas accomplished at the World Cup this year is something that I didn't 
I wasn't quite sure if women's football was there yet. They, what they did in this World Cup was they brought women's football to the next level in popularity and in excitement and in just captivation. Like, the Australian women's national team, the way that they brought an entire country together, the entire country of Australia was watching on pins and needles for those quarterfinal and semifinal games. They brought people together. They brought people from all walks of life across the country to rally behind this team in a way that you very rarely see in sports. It's such a rare thing to see a group of players be able to captivate an entire country like that. It's so, so rare. It's something you see in men's football a lot, but that's the only sport you see it in. It really is. That's the only sport you see it happen in a lot. And the other sports, like, sometimes, but very rare. It hasn't happened in women's football yet. Not like this. What Australia did at this World Cup was show that women's football is in a much greater place in its popularity, in its growth, in its excitement, and in its ability to just bring together people and in its ability to excite people and to make people care about this sport, which I think is a great sport. So I think that was important. I think that was so important. And it would, like, I'm not Australian. I'm Canadian. But I got goosebumps, like, reading those numbers and seeing those live sites and seeing the amount of people that genuinely cared about the women's soccer team the women's football team the fact that people came out and cared about that in the same way like that what we saw in australia is exactly what we saw in argentina when they won the world cup like earlier well not this year i guess but like you know the end of 2022 that was what we saw in argentina what we saw in australia obviously australia didn't win the tournament but it was kind of the same thing you had the entire country kind of stop and take notice and really start to care about the team and that to me is the big is is the, is the reason why it's my number one storyline it's because it's the biggest step in the evolution of women's football and it's one that i didn't see coming but i'm so glad i saw it at this world cup and i hope to see it again and again and again and it doesn't always have to be the team that wins but I certainly hope, you know, we see more of this where these teams are able to really just get bu- get an entire country behind them. And so, yeah, that is my number one storyline of the Women's World Cup. So to recap, my number 10 storyline, the Philippines winning a World Cup game. The number nine storyline, the United States losing by a millimeter. My number eight storyline, Linda Caicedo. My number seven storyline, New Zealand break attendance records. My number six storyline, parody at long last. My number five storyline, Benzina becoming a trailblazer. My number four storyline, Jamaica making the round of 16. And my number three storyline, Africa's success. My number two storyline, Spain their win their win on the field and their fight for equality off the field and then the number one storyline the matildas become the literal beating heart of a nation so 
that's my that's my list for the top 10 storylines. We're going to move to something more fun here in the top 10 goals of the tournament. This is just my opinion. So, you know, don't get mad if I put a goal somewhere that you don't like. I'm just ranking these purely on the goals that, you know, I thought were amazing and, you know, purely just my own opinion and watching football goals. So we'll start with number 10. I had Lauren James's goal against Denmark. She scored very early in the game, but it was a long shot. Beautiful little curling shot into the corner. My number nine goal of the tournament was Sofia Braun from Argentina. She scored a very long-range goal. It was almost like a little bit of a knuckleball kind of shot, but it went right into the corner. It was in the game against South Africa, and it was the tying goal for Argentina in that game. An exquisite tying goal for the Argentinians. My number eight goal of the tournament was Esme Brutz for the Netherlands. Her goal against Vietnam, she put in what can only be described as a perfect curling shot into the top corner of the net. And... Yeah, like just incredible goal. My number seven goal of the tournament goes to Olga Carmona's goal against Sweden in the semifinals. Her game-winning goal went off the crossbar and in, bar down and in. Incredible goal, incredible moment for Spain. My number six goal of the tournament goes to Katie McCabe. She scored an Olympico goal against Canada. It was the Republic of Ireland's first Women's World Cup goal. And an Olympico goal, for those of you that don't know what that is, for those of you that don't know what that is, it's a goal that goes straight in from a corner kick. And those are those are just kind of cool. I always I have a hot take on Olympicos. I think goalkeepers should deal with them like every single time. But I can also appreciate the fact that the player even tried it and it went in. And that's pretty incredible. My number five goal from the Women's World Cup, Linda Caicedo's goal against Germany, which I talked about briefly. Basically, she was able to take the ball under control, dribble around two German players, and then shoot it into the like absolute top part of the top corner of the net. And it's an incredible piece of footwork, an incredible piece of skill, and an incredible finish for Caicedo. My number four goal of the tournament goes to Brazil. And it's kind of a team goal because it was just a beautiful build-up play, and it ended up leading to a goal by Beatriz Zanarato Zhao. And the assist was almost more impressive than the goal itself because the assist, the back heel by Ari Borges was amazing. So Brazil's team goal against Panama is my number four on the list. My number three goes to the co-host, New Zealand. Their opening goal of the tournament was still incredible to watch. Just the movement, the precision, and Hannah Wilkinson scoring the biggest goal in New Zealand team history. I mean, that that in itself all makes it my number three. And then number two and number one were hard. I won't lie to you. And this might be really controversial, but my number two goal of the Women's World Cup was Sam Kerr's. And, and I know if someone's Australian and gets mad at me, I get it. Sam Kerr's goal was amazing, but I just... There was one goal I liked a little bit more than that. But Sam Kerr's goal was incredible. I almost fell out of my seat when I saw it. It was the fact that she took on two players and just decided, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to shoot this. And it went into the top corner. It was like such a great shot and just out of nowhere. Just incredible, incredible goal from Sam Kerr. And, of course, it came in the semifinals. Unfortunately, Australia lost the game. But at the same time, like that goal will be 
a very, very good memory for every Australian that watched it and it happened to be like almost the whole country. So that's pretty great. And then, of course, the number one goal on my list, it is Marta Cox of Panama. Her goal against France, her free kick goal. This free kick is as good as any free kick you will ever see in your life because the way it curved and the way it just, it was an exquisite, it was an exceptional free kick. And in my opinion, as a pure goal, just marginally better than Sam Kerr's. And I know don't, Australians don't come for me if you know you're listening but but seriously it was an both of them were incredible goals so that is my list my number 10 Lauren James against Denmark number nine Braun against South Africa number eight Brooks against Vietnam number seven was Carmona against Sweden number six McCabe against Canada number five Caicedo against Germany number four Brazil's team goal against Panama. Number three, New Zealand's team goal against Norway. My number two was Sam Kerr against England. And number one, Marta Cox against France. So, that's it. That's all I got for this episode today. Little little bittersweet, I'm not going to lie, because it is fun doing these podcast episodes, but at the same time, I'm sad that the Women's World Cup is now over. And so now we have to wait another four years before the next Women's World Cup. And, of course, the next Men's World Cup isn't until 2026. The World Cup is my favorite sporting event. And I take so much joy in watching every single game, as many as I can anyways. And, you know, this tournament was great. The Men's World Cup was great. Like, it's just, it's so much fun. And I just felt this was kind of a nice way to wrap up the tournament. And so... To anybody out there, I don't care if you listen to one of my episodes or all of my episodes, thank you. You mean a lot to me. This is just something fun I do in my room. I set up my podcast equipment and I talk about the sport I love. So for anybody who's listened into my episodes, again, even if just once or you listen a whole bunch of times, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate every single one of you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the world's game a world cup podcast the music is from pixabay there will be new episodes throughout the women's world cup so make sure you subscribe and don't miss a moment of the 2023 world cup okay normally that's the end of my episode and the truth is if you aren't listening to this you know that's that's okay but I wanted to add this in at the end. So the reason I didn't record my podcast on Friday like I meant to was because my grandfather passed away. And I wanted to just leave this last part of the episode here because I love my grandpa. And it's kind of sad that he won't be around to listen to this episode. Because I, I know he has listened to some before. To my grandpa, I miss you, and thanks for being there for all 25 years of my life so far. <laughs>